0: Hello and welcome back to The Evil Eye. We have been gone for a while, but like anything undead, we have risen from the grave to return. My name is Robert Scavarla And I'm Sam Deegan. And we are back today with a double feature, which isn't unusual for this podcast, but the subject matter is a little unusual because it's going a little outside our comfort zone to look at... A strange figure in exploitation history. I guess they'd call him strange. He's a strange dude, for sure. A strange, strange dude. So, what we are talking about, who we are talking about, is... You
1: shall pay, Black Prince. I press you with my name. You shall be Blackula. Blackula, the Black Avenger rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror. Blackula, Dracula's soul brother, deadlier even than he. Blackula, he thirsts for your blood, he hungers for your soul, more horrifying than Dracula. The Black Avenger, Blackula, an American international release, rated PG, parental guidance suggested.
0: We are talking about Blackula. And
2: the absolutely wonderful William Marshall, who I love so very much, but... Since we haven't really had an episode in a while, this I think because of technical difficulties and then because of the world ending. It's uh, my fault. The world ending from
0: quarantine. Oh, quarantine is your fault? I mean, that's my fault too, but I'm the one who <laughs> screwed up the other episode. Well, Which re- we can talk about later Regardless,
2: or never. yes. Regardless, I think this is our first episode of the year. It's at least our first episode in a long time. Good timing because spooky season is upon us. Uh, But we do need to introduce any new viewers or any old viewers who maybe forgot the rules of being goth. I actually forgot about these myself, so you're (laughs) reintroducing me as well. I did not. So if you want to know where this comes from, it comes from this this delightful shot on video movie called Goth that Rob is still mad about me forcing him to watch. I don't know why it was
0: the first episode, but... (laughs) That's neither here nor there, and we are past that bridge.
2: We're past it. But the movie establishes three rules for being goth. And because there's only three. Right, only three. Uh, rule number one is embrace the darkness. Oh, right. Rule number two is kill your fear. <laughs> and rule number three is to
0: live for death. Live for death. Well, the figure we are looking at today certainly lives for death because he is undead, and he needs to live for death to survive, as in feed on the living.
2: Well, and I think if you haven't listened to any of our past episodes, one of my personal rules for is this movie goth or not, is if there are vampires in the movie, it's automatically goth. So therefore, Blackula and it's about Dracula and Vegas. Dracula and Vegas is totally goth. And now that you brought that up, one day we're doing a Dracula
0: and Vegas episode. I'm going to veto that. (laughs) Denied. So yeah, Dracula. As as a general rule is always a goth figure. I mean, Transylvania, come on. That's the most goth thing I can think of. Vlad the Impaler drinking your uh, opponent's blood, even though I know that was exaggerated. The whole mythology of Dracula, generally speaking, it's everything that goth culture was created out of.
2: Sure. I mean, it's also it's it's tricky because I think you could make a case for ghouls also being goth, especially in the way that writers like Lovecraft use them.
0: But I don't think zombies are goth. Well, I mean, there's overlap between ghouls and vampires. The Shargoy, sure. for example, were basically ghouls that influence vampire lore.
2: Absolutely, and I mean, I do think a lot of that really great Eastern European folklore and mythology makes for some fascinating and really criminally underseen horror films. And we should definitely do some episodes on them in the future. Things like Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Disco Dracula. And Disco Dracula. That's
0: not a movie. It's a series of movies. I wrote about it for Diabolique. If you're interested, go look it up.
2: Or maybe we should just cover Disco Dracula on here.
0: None of them are really goth though. There are some similarities in this movie to at least one or two of those movies, which I will discuss, but I would definitely not classify this as a disco movie. It predates disco by a few years, even though the music in this movie, some of it, the uh, funk and soul music, definitely influenced some of what would come later in the disco era.
2: Yeah, and that I think we're going to have to definitely talk more about the music because this was one of the first horror movies to use this kind of music in its soundtrack. And I mean, it is, We we should say... Upfront, it's the first official black exploitation horror film. We'll talk about what that means a little bit later, but there are a lot of interesting firsts about Blackula, and this is one of my favorite periods to talk about, both in terms of American horror, but also in terms of vampire films, because the early seventies, I think, was a time when a lot of producers and studios were trying to kind of revitalize horror and get. Newer audiences, younger audiences, counterculture audiences interested in this material that I think by then sort of felt a little stale and old. And one way that a lot of studios did that was to try to take these stories like Dracula and give them a modern day setting which is how you get some really hilarious things like uh, the Hammer film Dracula AD
0: 1972. I was going to mention that. One um, the one I would yes. mention is Love at First Bite, which comes a few years later, I think, like 79, which is a disco Dracula movie. But and it's wonderful. Point, yeah, so Dracula films in this era, um, a lot of them use the device of a fish out of water. Dracula is dropped in from a different century, and he has to focus on the hyper-modern 1970s. He's confronted, at least in the early decade, Dracula AD 1972 with hippies. Totally. By the end of the decade, he's dealing with, you know, coked out me generation, Studio 54 disco fans. Mostly white yeah. disco fans, not like the actual people who were listening to disco in that era, but you know, totally. And they're close as you can get to that.
2: There are so in a lot of different ways, there are so many stereotypes happening in these kind of modernized horror films, especially in the case of oh, horror, yes. and
0: especially in Blackula, you're confronted with it in the first few minutes of the movie. But let's actually get into the movie since we haven't really started discussing it yet. So we're going to start with Blackula and then go into Scream, Flacula, Scream. They came out in 72 and 73. Um, the first one was directed by William Crane.
2: Yeah, William Crane is one of these really amazing figures who I think doesn't get enough credit and isn't talked about enough. I mean, he it's interesting because, and this is something that I think we're going to talk about as we go along, Black exploitation really was kind of put into this genre pocket like a lot of horror films a lot of exploitation films and a lot of black directors who were making films in the sort of late 60s and early 70s definitely around the time of the civil rights movement wanted to sort of be separate from mainstream Hollywood understandably but I think William Crane was one of the few directors who went against that and kind of wanted to make mainstream films which I think is great not because I love a lot of mainstream like average dramas and things like that but just I mean there's so many issues representation being one I mean it's crazy to think like you know we could do several episodes on this topic but It's crazy to think about
0: the role that black actors had in early horror films, which is... Night of the Living Dead, which is the one everyone turns to. And I know it's kind of a cliche and it wasn't intended, at least in the words of Romero. But it's kind of, at least for the history of modern horror, where a lot of that starts.
2: Sure. But I mean, even before that, like you have things like uh, Val Luton's I Walked With a Zombie, which is one of the few films to actually have black actors outside of this kind of like made role that was the only thing Hollywood ever did with black characters.
0: Right. And typically if you saw black actors in movies in that era, they were frequently in positions where they were being othered, where they may have been um, like a zombie in the traditional sense, not in the modern Romero sense or in a way that they weren't necessarily the central focus, or even maybe heroic. And that sort of started changing in this era. And one of the things that's unique about Blackula is that um the he- hero, I guess you can call him a hero, Mama Waldeck. He's, totally he's a romantic a hero. hero. And it's not, it wasn't unusual for Dracula to be presented as a romantic figure, but in Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream, he's actually kind of a heroic figure, whereas like Christopher Lee, and I know we talked about this previously, Christopher Lee is more of a figure where he's, I'm going to take what I want by any means necessary. Mama Walde literally says in the first film, I'm not going to make you love love me. You either will or you won't. So make your decision.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I totally, like I know what you're saying. I don't know if I totally agree because I you don't... You have to agree, I'm right. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, let me tell you why. Dracula wasn't really presented as a heroic figure until around the early 70s when you right. get things like... Blackula and, you know, William Marshall was one of the first heroic Draculas ever, which is incredible, obviously, considering that it's a black man portraying Dracula and not just this like stereotypical, like quaffed white dude with the like starched linen shirts. But Frank Langella also was one of the <laughs> other first
0: Frank Langella's Dracula is a strange relic. I didn't include it when I wrote about Disco Dracula, although I probably should have because the music definitely feels like it is of that era. And he has the look of someone who probably was going to dance to disco in that era.
2: Totally. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about where studios were really trying to update these beloved old stories. And, you know, you have the Frank Langella Dracula, you have things like uh, Count Yorga, where Robert Quarry is, I think, a more sinister version of the Frank Langella character. Like, the reason I keep talking about the Frank Langella Dracula is because I think that and Blackula have the two most overtly romantic, heroic Draculas. Definitely. Whereas something like Count Yorga, he might be charismatic and likable in a sinister way, but like Robert Quarry is not meant to be a hero.
0: It's funny you mentioned Count Yorga because the director of our second film directed the Yorga films.
2: Hell yeah. And you really, so AIP, and I know we've talked about AIP before. You gave
0: us Sam Markov's rules, so Ah,
2: we are aware of them. So AIP at this time, I think we're super desperate to have this kind of like last gasp of horror productions, which unfortunately ended by, like, 1975. And so you have these totally off-the-wall things like Abominable Dr. Fibes, which is an AIP co-production. Which we've covered and you should listen to and watch. Uh, Yeah, it's the best. Um, But things like Count Yorga, and to me a lot of those are just, like, comical in a way. I love all of those films, but comical in a way because you can just sort of picture... Uh, almost like the Gremlins 2 episode of Key and Peel, It's like I can vividly picture this room of Hollywood executives who are like, okay how can we make the kids interested in Dracula?
0: <laughs> it's just like, oh god. Well, so going off of that and taking off of a point you made earlier with um, William Crane, I think one of the interesting things is they picked Crane, who was a director who wanted to make mainstream movies but came up as part of the LA Rebellion, which was uh, filmmakers who you mentioned, but he did have like people around him like Jama Fanaka, who made the penitentiary films, who were making kind of semi mainstream works or trying to make exploitation films. There was um Melvin Van Peebles, who was doing something similar, who wasn't necessarily trying to make a mainstream movie. But in this era you see this rebirth not rebirth, I guess, a birth of black exploitation filmmaking, at least for a brief period in time, because unfortunately it was silenced by the end of the decade. But Arcock gave someone like William Crane a chance to make a movie like this. And it's unusual because there really wasn't a financial incentive for them to do so. There were successful films prior, but there was no way of knowing this movie was going to be as big a success as it was. So the fact that they decided to take a classic figure like Dracula and recast him as um, a black man and then a Shakespearean actor in that role was a really kind of bold choice. And it's something that When we talk about representation today, the way people freak out when classic figures are represented as something else. I know I recently saw people were freaking out because He-Man might be gay in a new adaptation. So (laughs) think about like where we are today and think about where we were in the late 60s and early 70s and how much more radical something like this would have been. And to give an untested director director like William Crane an opportunity, how much of a chance like Arkhoff and AIP would have been taking.
2: Yeah. And so this is something that I think we maybe struggled with a little bit when we talked about what our first episode back should be. And I, you know, kind of rankle at this feeling that a lot of companies are jumping on the whole like Black Lives Matter movement bandwagon, just because they don't want to lose customers. But at the same time, I feel like It's this issue of representation. Like, you know, you could say, yes, it's, you know, sort of stereotypical to pick this as a podcast subject matter at this current time. But it's like, why not?
0: Well, one of the things I was struck by in looking this up is there's not a lot of like writing on the subject of Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream. There is some very good writing, but compared to, you know, a lot of cheesy 80s movies, Chopping Mall, there's probably... 50,000 articles about shopping mall. There's how many articles telling you Halloween 3 is the most underrated movie ever, which it's a very good movie, but it's no longer like a movie that needs to be written about as much as it had been previously. You don't see that with a movie like Blackula or even a lot of the black exploitation horror movies. You see it in pockets of the internet, but you don't see like a lot of writers in general tackling it, especially in the horror community. And I don't know if it's because people are uncomfortable because a lot of them are white writers trying to ta- tackle a subject like this or if it's just they don't even think to cover something like this
2: yeah i find that really frustrating a couple of years ago for Diabolik, i wrote this piece on Ganya and hess which we will Amazing have to movie. yeah we'll also have to do movie. we'll have to do a Ganya and hess episode at some point as so long as
0: it's not blood couple
2: that cut no we will not be doing that uh <laughs> If you haven't seen Gunya and Hess, uh, you can, you know, read my piece about it on Diabolik. You can Google it. It's much more readily available than it was. Well, like when I first saw it, I had to, and I'm sure this was the case with you too, I had to like search out this VHS bootleg that was cut to shit. And what Rob was talking about- oh, no, I
0: actually found it on Netflix.
2: Well, Like okay. the original
0: version of Netflix where they sent you something in the mail.
2: Ah, okay. So I saw it. When I was probably like 16 or 17, pre-Netflix. I
0: saw it much later because I didn't even know it existed until I started like looking up really obscure horror movies. You know, when you start with horror, you start at the base level, Halloween. thirteenth. You go a little deeper, you get into like Chopping Mall. You go a little deeper and you keep going until you end up at Ganyan Hess.
2: Oh, totally. And that's what happened to me was I actually saw it in a bootleg catalog under the Blood Couple title. And I loved the title. I love vampire movies, you know, in case that hasn't been made abundantly clear in this podcast and oh really that was <laughs> surprise uh that was the version i found but do not watch the blood couple version because it is cut and re-edited so that it's trying to be a different film it's whereas confusing as hell and it's not that the
0: original movie isn't confusing like it's a difficult well, movie to understand surreal. under good circumstances because there's a lot you're grappling with but it's very blood couple dream-like. is just like incoherent yeah but
2: i i do think it is an issue because I think unfortunately a lot of the really vocal members of the horror community are straight white dudes and a lot, like no offense to you and no offense to the majority. What are you talking about? I am nothing.
0: I was born nothing. I am nothing and I will die nothing.
2: No offense to all five people listening to this podcast who are probably straight white dudes. But I, I do think that especially the horror bros who are all my nemeses posting loudly on forums and starting their own blogs. It's, they don't care about this shit. So they don't write about it. So it doesn't have nearly as many hits as like, you know, everybody loves 80 slashers. And it's not that we don't, but I do think there are so many interesting films out there that don't get the sort of attention they deserve. And I think at this point people know about Blackula, but Probably not as many people have seen it or have just sort of written
0: it off as being a kind punch of line. ridiculous. Yes. In the which same it's way that not. like Blackenstein is kind of a punchline for different reasons. Blackenstein is kind of bad. It's bad. Um, and a lot of like exploitation films, I think in general, get the reputation of just being cheaply made and bad in the same way that like erotic thrillers do. There's certain genres that just have connotations attached to them over time and people take it as a truism. They never bother looking beneath the surface.
2: Totally. And that's so frustrating to me. I mean, I think with things like Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream, I mean, it, I like, yes, there are some silly elements, but there are silly elements to
0: 95% of horror movies. Well, right. And it's the idea of in 15, 20, 30, 40 years, how are the movies that people think are, you know, the greatest films ever made? How are they going to be perceived? A lot of the stuff that we look at now as being like, the pinnacle of artistic achievement are going to be laughed at like hereditary will be laughed at in 30 or 40 it's years bad well okay i'm not saying it's bad or good it's I'm bad not a fan of it but the things that people probably like about it now will probably be laughed at by their kids and their grandkids in the same way that people laugh at movies from the 60s today
2: sure i mean i think the exorcist is a classic case of that like i pretty much did i can't remember i've probably told this story before but i did pretty much whatever i wanted when i was a kid because My parents were divorced and I, you know, was raised by like 20 different people. And so no one ever really knew what I was doing. And my dad, who introduced me to horror movies and horror fiction, his one rule was you can't watch The Exorcist till you're 15.
0: So like... an arbitrary choice considering like all of the other movies you could have watched.
2: Well, also considering that I watched... I started watching Fulci movies when I was like 13. Precisely. So by the time... And started like reading the Marquis de Sade and stuff like that, which... Don't do it before you're 15. Gotta say. But so by the time I watched The Exorcist, I was just sort of, I thought it was ridiculous. Like the scene with the pea soup, like it's funny. Or where she walks downstairs and says, you're going to die up there and then peas. Well, the the peeing scene, I think is the scariest scene in the whole movie. Or most so unnerving. I, I
0: was a probably 13 or 14 year old boy because I didn't have that kind of role in my house. And I laughed because I was like, what the fuck? This girl just pissed herself. Whereas like later in life, I'm now like, okay, that's a little weird. It's
2: disturbing. I mean, I think to me it's disturbing. And this is a whole other subject that we probably shouldn't go down this tangent. But I think The Exorcist is a really effective allegory of child abuse. And so certain scenes like...
0: So did your buddy Pauline Kale. Yeah, well, fuck her. Uh, But... (laughs) Read her review. It's wonderful. There's a section where she just fantasizes about what it must have been like in the um, audition with the girl's mother's. So everyone who auditioned to play Reagan, what it must have been like to be a mother of one of those girls.
2: Uh, probably terrible. But getting back on target, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I think you said earlier is really important, which is even though you might watch Blackula and think, okay, this is kind of a silly 70s vampire movie, what you were saying earlier about how like you have to appreciate the context in which it was made and how radical it really is, I think a big factor in that is William Marshall himself. Absolutely. Who to your point is just this incredible powerhouse actor. I mean, he probably he's pretty widely regarded as being like the best Othello of his generation. He's has a shit ton of roles in television, but is really more of a stage actor than anything else and had an unusual level of involvement in the films he made especially the black exploitation films i mean he basically rewrote mama Walde's character i mean that's how we got the name totally yeah he his original name was like
0: andrew brown and it or it was anthony brown yeah some sort of bullshit he was supposed to be a more traditional black exploitation character who most likely would have been talking in jive and presenting himself in the way characters in those movies would have you would have expected them to but uh, Marshall came in and he drastically rewrote the character. He gave him the name Mama Walde. He gave him the backstory where he was an African prince. He added, um, I believe, a lot of the opening of the film with Dracula.
2: Yeah, he and basically he gave the character dignity. He gave him depth. And something that I think is interesting to think about is just this idea of like, I love a lot of black exploitation films but if you look at the sort of mainstream black exploitation things like Shaft it's so different from things like Blackula where you have people coming along and even in small ways trying to kind of break these stereotypes as much as they can and add some more authentic elements and i think with both the Blackula films and with something like Abby which I'm obsessed with Abby. It's basically, it's a William Girdler film, who I also am obsessed with William
0: Girdler. (laughs) He has such a great body of work. He did uh, the Manitou Grizzly, right? He did Grizzly. He did this great film called Project Kill
2: with Leslie Nielsen, my husband. Uh, Is he as
0: crazy uh, as in Day of the Animals?
2: Okay, he's crazier than in Day of the Animals and just sort of like kicks the shit out of people for the entire movie. But William Girdler made a lot of really interesting black exploitation films, often featuring women uh, in prominent roles. And in Abby, they, they were sued because Abby is so much like The Exorcist. But it's really not like okay. it's it's so it's a OK. Does Reagan fuck somebody in the back of a Buick in The Exorcist? I don't think so. She tries to. I mean, she she's certainly trying to get up on Merrick that's probably but who isn't really i mean Her come point. on but so in both blackula and in abby william marshall and william marshall actually co-wrote the script for abby he sort of came along and said okay i see what you're doing but we're not doing that and, <laughs> and added all these sort of more authentic cultural elements like there's all this stuff about yoruba religion and abby that a lot of it is actually pretty accurate um, and I think there's some of that going on here where he wants Mamuwalde to have this proud lineage, which is definitely something that ties into the Dracula book because Dracula's yes. whole thing is he's a warrior and he, his family goes back generations and he's this proud leader, but. It's insane to think that you would start a horror movie in 1972. First five minutes of the movie, you have Mama Walde meeting a super ridiculous-looking Count Dracula. Who's and basically like a British dandy. He is a British dandy, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But within the first five minutes, they have this dialogue where Mama Walde basically says, I'm only here because I want you to support me in ending the slave trade. Yes. Like, like it in the is, beginning of
0: the movie, is him you know, negotiating the end of the slave trade for his people in Africa. It's insane that, like, it's wild. An exploitation horror movie in this era would have even bothered to address something like that.
2: Yeah, and he's he's definitely got some dialogue throughout both films where he basically says to some of the Hustler and Pimp characters, like, you're just continuing slavery on the street. Specifically in the second film.
0: Yeah. But let's actually get into the first film. since you know, We're almost half an hour in and <laughs> we haven't even discussed the movie like proper. So as you were saying, it begins with Mama Walde. Uh, negotiating the end of the slave trade with Dracula, but... That doesn't go so well. Dracula's kind of an asshole. Dracula actually makes an offer for Mama Walde's wife, Luva. Which is some cold shit.
2: Like, the line of dialogue is so fucking rude. He he basically says to him, like,
0: I would pay a lot of money for your wife to be my slave. And Mama Walde is like, fuck no, and starts wrecking shit, as, you know, any competent, smart, intelligent person would.
2: Yeah, and I feel like the important thing to note in both... Blackula and Scream Blackula Scream is that William Marshall is like larger, like not larger in girth, but taller and more handsome than anyone else in the movie. So there's so
0: much sweatier than everybody in the movie. He
2: does sweat more than any vampire I probably have ever seen.
0: I didn't realize vampires had sweat glands until I watched Blackula.
2: I mean, it's pure
0: charisma that he's sweating out, I guess. I suppose. Whatever he's doing, it works. So he starts fighting off Dracula's henchmen, but that doesn't really go according to plan. Dracula actually captures him and decides to curse him by turning him into a vampire and giving him his name. But it's not quite his name.
1: You shall pay, Black Prince. I shall place a curse of suffering on you will doom you to a living hell. A hunger, a wild, gnawing, animal hunger will grow in you. A hunger for human blood. Here you will starve for an eternity, torn by an unquenchable lust. I curse you with my name. You shall be... Dracula, a vampire, like myself, a living fiend, you will be doomed, never to know that sweet blood, which will become your only...
2: no instead of dracula it's blackula which
0: Which, (laughs) which is a lot but it's also kind of clever because um he reanimates 200 years later and if you think about it giving him the name blackula like literally a physical signifier it shows the legacy of racism as it persists across time because he revives as this figure still attached to that name still attached to that curse
2: Yeah, and I I do think that this is maybe a little beyond our scope here, but I I do think in a lot of films from around the mid-60s on, you do start to see these narratives, and obviously this is a huge part of something like Roots, where there's this idea of naming and slavery and taking back your own name. Changing the name. Yeah, and I mean, this is also definitely a big part of oppression narratives overall because you see a lot of stuff like this related to the holocaust as well where people are forced to change their names or change their names in the mid-30s in an attempt to kind of be normalized and not be seen as jewish and then in the camps their names are taken away
0: well i also would point out that it's probably not a coincidence that they set the opening in 1790 and then brought it up into the 1970s to play off the legacy of slavery they openly reference it in the beginning he's negotiating the end of the slave trade he comes back attached to that name the idea that slavery never truly ended for at least a certain portion of americans so i think that was probably intentional as well to highlight that fact but then dracula or rather blackula does reanimate in the early 1970s because a couple these two gay interior designers, I think they're supposed to be,
2: So this movie accidentally revive him.
0: Just a warning, it's probably not going to have the politics, the progressive politics of our era, so probably try not to watch it through a filter of today because you will rightly be offended.
2: Yeah, but something that I do actually, before we stop talking about Dracula altogether, something I do briefly want to talk about that I think is really interesting is a lot of cult films from this period, particularly from the early seventies. Whether you're talking about like uh, Italian poliziotteschi films or black exploitation films or even exploitation films in the U.S., definitely Blackula. Often, like they, they have this shift in the way they start to portray antagonists and you suddenly start to see a lot of these white businessmen antagonists who often have some sort of respectable front, but really <laughs> they're obsessed. And you see this all over exploitation films. Yeah, They're obsessed with greed. That's all they care about. Human life has no value. And they often are connected to this sort of conspiracy network. And Dracula definitely talks about how he's kind of part of this like european political group just because he's nobility the illuminati exactly
0: or i mean you can probably go in darker directions if you really wanted to with european conspiracy circles from that era
2: but you don't even have to go in darker directions i mean it's all of these major business owners in europe the united states england who allowed the slave trade to begin in the first place right so to me he's just a different version of one of those characters where it's just interesting how especially in the 70s yeah especially in the 70s you start to see those antagonists take on much more kind of economic considerations
0: well so this was also the rising of an era of um, I don't know if you want to call it communist belief in america but definitely anti-capitalist sentiment
2: leftist sentiment
0: i w- I don't know if i would define all of it as leftist especially um in exploitation films because many of them were not leftists they were just people who were they maybe came up in those circles but they eventually became they were more libertarian in nature left libertarian i would say well so A lot of the people who were making those movies were still very much about making money and they would have made money off of any different belief system that they could come up with. So the fact that they had, you know, an evil white man wasn't necessarily something that I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, I I don't think that was necessarily the goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Blackula, definitely, I would not call an anti-capitalist film. I would not call it a leftist film because I don't think there's a specific economic view there i think it's definitely coming from a different perspective sure based around identity
2: but i do think it has some interesting really radical things to say about the kind of legacy of slavery
0: true and i will definitely concede that um but dracula blackula sorry reanimates wakes up because of two gay decorators who buy his house to flip it because obviously and then he feeds on them by biting one of their wrists because obviously sure which i think is also a bit in a bunch of 70s era comedy too i don't know why it's definitely in disco beavers from outer space uh biting wrists yeah dracula biting wrists yeah there's some no i mean i get the joke i think it's a dumb joke but like it is something that persisted in that era (laughs) um so he does that, and then we move on from there because that's literally just a, you know, device to get Dracula back. Dracula's awake.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and so basically one of the men that he's killed, his friends are uh, going to hold a funeral for him, and they go to the funeral home for a viewing, and that's where Mama Walde spies... His lost love. Yes. Luva reincarnated as Tina.
0: Tina, also Luva. It's a weird combination of names there, but...
2: I mean, it's also... So I've been kind of struggling to figure out the first time that this is used. And I want to say maybe it's Blackula. Uh, Someone should write in and tell me if I'm wrong, but this whole trope of Dracula's dead wife being reincarnated as either Lucy Westenra or Mina Harker... Right. It definitely
0: starts popping up with frequency in the 70s. If that's not the first place, it's certainly the most prominent.
2: Yeah, it's not in any Dracula that I can think of from the 50s or 60s. It's certainly not in the novel. And this sort of goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier in in terms of this shift how Dracula is portrayed. Because to me, Christopher Lee and maybe even Jack Palance are some of the last like traditional portrayals of Dracula in the sense that he's meant to be this monstrous bloodsucker who's really part of this kind of invasion conspiracy, which is what the novel is all about.
0: Well, no, yeah, you start seeing the shift in how he's portrayed like in this film. and Totally. The First Bite. You know, he's a romantic figure. You see him as a comedic figure. John Carradine in Nocturna, uh, granddaughter of Dracula.
2: Yes, and I, I do think that... Blackula might be the first time we see that.
0: I mean, it's a good chance. It's certainly like it would have that was that era where it most likely occurred.
2: I can assure you that that also doesn't happen in Grave of the Vampire.
0: Uh yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I'd call that a romantic movie.
2: Um no, probably not.
0: So they're at the funeral and uh Mama walde also encounters Dr. Gordon Thomas, a very serious man in a turtleneck.
2: Yes. Played by Thalmas Russlala, who I don't want to say he gives William Marshall a run for his money, but he's at least he at least has enough weight that he's He can play a foil. A decent hero. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about Blackula is the main characters, especially Dr. Thomas and his girlfriend, Michelle, who Michelle is Tina's sister. He's a doctor. He's not just a cop or just some guy who happens to cross Dracula's path. He introduces himself as like part of the scientific investigation committee, which like that's not a real thing. (laughs) But I wish it was because if we had scientists investigating crimes more often than just regular cops like this movie, not a fan of cops
0: none of them are i mean neither of them not not that i am the second one he just starts fucking cops up left and right
2: oh yeah it's incredible but this movie sort of paints the white cops as they're not yeah first of all yes that is the perfect word they're not really antagonists in the way that you see a lot like i mean if you think about the cops a decade later in something like cruising they're fucking terrible yeah And here they're just sort of inept and they, the movie doesn't beat you over the head with it, but it definitely introduces this idea that there's tension between a black investigator, a black scientific investigator who is a doctor and these white cops. And it's like, they're willing to work with him, but he has to constantly give them shit just to sort of maintain respect
0: Well, so one of the other things that I think is interesting about um, the character, Gordon Thomas, is that he's also not entirely likable. One of the first characters that interacts with him calls him rude. He's kind of, you know, a jerk. He just tells people the way it is and tells them that's what it's going to be. So he's he's headstrong, which would not be unusual for any character, male character, male lead in that era. But he's also kind of a dick. Yeah, but he's kind of a dick my so
2: my sort of take on this is that he's a dick because he's forced to be because he's constantly working with these white dudes who have no respect inept. for him a they're inept they're not good at their jobs they're lazy they don't want to do actual work but b they don't have respect for him because of like none of them are really portrayed as being overtly racist But
0: there's this definite undercurrent of you're different because you're black. Well, so getting to that, after he claims his first victims, the next one is a female cab driver. The cops immediately try and link it to the Black Panthers. (laughs) Yeah, that is is some shit. Everything in the early 70s would have been like the cops thinking it was the Black Panthers because, you know, they killed Fred Hampton. So why not just blame it on someone else involved with them?
2: Yeah. And it's I feel like. one of the really frustrating things about watching blackula again and talking about it now is like nothing has changed no it's 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 horrifying so
0: one of the things i always like to say is things don't get better they just get different it's something i kind of take from one of my favorite philosophers john gray who writes about the myth of progress Um, and it's that idea where we just find new ways Problems find new ways of manifesting because we can't really ever fix them. So we're always kind of trapped in cycles and repeating ourselves over and over. It's kind of like a time loop.
2: Which this movie, not to make it too overtly philosophical, which it's not, but that's what this movie is about, is about these yeah. sort of unbroken cycles of oppression and feasting on blood.
0: Sadly, we don't get to see the Black Panthers in this movie. That would have been awesome. Hopefully, that we would have shit been up. awesome. But. One of the things I find funny about this is Mama Walde has dropped into this era. Even with all of this, he's still dressed like he was in 1790 and no one notices. No, like they do notice. They say shit about it all the time, but they think it's fucking awesome. Well, yeah, he walks around in a cape, like literally a cape with like a red underdress and no one's like they talk about it, but it's not something like, man, someone's dying with uh, two bites on their neck. It might be a drag. It might be a vampire. But what about this dude, this weird dude who wears capes, speaks with a weird Shakespearean accent? Could it be him? No, he's awesome.
2: I mean, I have to say, I love that the film acknowledges it and that people are like, why is he dressed like this? But he's still like more handsome than everyone. And I'm also super grateful. And I don't think William Marshall would have let them do this, but I'm super grateful that He's just in this over the top, like vampire costume rather than being in some sort of awful, like modern version of it, or some sort of awful, like African tribal outfit, which is definitely a direction that I can see AIP forcing. A director into for especially because this is the first exploitation horror film
0: i mean i kind of like period dracula movies where it's set in the period itself so for example dracula 2000 do
2: you know what don't even start with that
0: <laughs> gerard butler with his feathered hair and open shirts
2: okay so a couple months ago at this point well a couple weeks ago i have no concept of time anymore My birthday was at the end of the summer, and for my birthday, we had a vampire movie marathon where I didn't pick any of the movies and was surprised at all of them. And granted,
0: I love bad vampire movies, but Dracula 2000 was a lot. It's the opposite of of what William Marshall does here because Gerard Butler is just very... 2000 like 1999 2000 it's a very period specific piece it is in a in a sad way (laughs) well so they did the opposite of this here and they just were like we're gonna make him look like he came out of a universal film from the 40s he's dracula as people know dracula
2: which is interesting because hammer does the same exact thing with christopher lee in dracula ad 1972 where he is likewise reincarnated and this, I mean, Dracula, 1980, 72 is bonkers. It's one of my favorite vampire movies. And people always look at me like I'm insane, but it just, it's like this group of you're supposed to think they're teenagers. They all look like they're 30 <laughs> and they sit around in this coffee. Like they're supposed to be really like bad and rebellious and they sit around in this fucking coffee shop like drinking coffee. And that's what they do instead of drugs. And one of them, Johnny Elucard, who is one of the greatest side characters in any Hammer film, is a Satanist. Because obviously. I Like you do. And resurrects Dracula. And so Dracula comes back to like in 70s London, which it's kind of sad because it's like clear that the movie the people who made the movie are wish it was still like 1965 and that's right. the london that they're portraying even though it's 1972 which but is he, funny
0: because um that's sort of the way scream blackula scream opens in a different context where someone definitely. resurrects Dr- dracula it's very similar actually but
2: they both my, my point really is that both films have dracula in like a traditional dracula costume
0: yes but the dracula in this movie mama walde is definitely not a traditional vampire as mentioned he fucks up cops he does it at least once from what i recall he's also he's a much more romantic figure from what had come previously you know you have the line where he's talking to tina and he says i will not take you by force and i will not return literally telling her either you're gonna love me or you're not but i'm gonna go either way
2: Yeah, it's which is also a little crazy if you think about it, because he's he's saying more or less like, I want you to genuinely love me of your own free will. But you have 10 seconds to figure that out. And she goes back and
0: forth in those 10 seconds. But it's like, that's not a thing. He does have a great line, though, where he says, I have lived again to lose you twice, which is. Oh, it's such a good line. I mean, I don't want to say unintentionally poetic. I don't know if it was. Intentionally poetic, come no, on it's No, William it isn't intentionally Marshall. poetic, I'm trying to look for the right way I don't know, like When they were making this, they had to know there was some element of camp To what was happening, so inserting those lines in It's really interesting to me Like the ones that actually hit, and that's one that does
2: Yeah, I do One of the things I, I really do love about this film Is that I think It balances exploitation themes Genuine Horror and atmosphere And
0: some camp Oh, definitely, because almost immediately after that, we get... I say,
1: man, that is one strange dude. Who is it? one strange dude?
0: Which is like something you would have expected to hear in, you know, a counterculture film, a black exploitation film. Yeah. Any youth-oriented film from that era. It's the type of dialogue that pops up in all of those movies.
2: I mean, it's pretty close to he's a
0: bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> so after the he's a strange dude... Um, someone finally realizes Mama Walde is the vampire because Gordon realizes that someone had taken a photo of Mama Walde. So he goes to find the developed film and doesn't see anyone in the photo. And he puts two and two together realizing, Hey man, this guy must be a vampire if he doesn't show up in photos.
2: Well, he also figures out, Oh, so I don't think we've said this yet, but the, the, uh, medical examiner who calls him rude is, uh, Oh no, wait. I
0: don't believe that's the medical examiner. No, you're right. It's not.
2: One of the things that we didn't mention is the medical examiner who he sort of strong arms into doing these autopsies is played by Alicia cook jr. Who is, has must, must've been in a thousand movies, but he's always in film noir. He's in a lot of early horror movies. And so it's just kind of interesting to see him here looking like he doesn't give a shit what's going on, which is <laughs> perfectly in keeping with his character. He's just like, why do you care about these these bites on people's
0: necks? Why do you have to exhume dead bodies? I like, know, all God, these it's so much work. makes no sense. So one of the things that you see across both movies is people just seem very inconvenienced by the idea of a vampire rather than like being terrified of it until like the absolute moment they must be.
2: And I think that's the same sort of thing that happens in uh, Count Yorga, where people are very dismissive of anything that seems supernatural or superstitious. It's just kind of like, you know, you're overreacting, you're imagining things. And of course, that's how Walde is able to kill a surprising number of people
0: (laughs) throughout the film. Including the cops. While being a hero. You know, is funny to me because it's almost like we have Antifa Dracula in the process of doing this. At one point, Gordon even starts tossing a mullet of cocktails at Mama Walde's army, showing that they are just these agitators coming in to attack us, right? Yeah, it's... I don't think that was actually intentional. It's a dumb reading, so don't I, quote me on that.
2: I don't think it's intentional, but it is really interesting to watch Blackula now and... Speaking of his army of vampires, I think the makeup looks great. Like, they yes. look creepy as fuck.
0: It gets even better in the second movie, um, in my opinion. So between the two movies, we're not quite done with Blackula, but I actually prefer Scream Blackula Scream.
2: Oh, Scream Blackula Scream is the real shit.
0: Yeah, because the first one, um, Crane does interesting things, but in the second one, it just gets fucking nuts. And that includes production design, music, where they start including, like, more tribal drumming, other really cool shit you would not have in this movie where... The music is primarily R&B and funk.
2: Uh, And the most important thing, which you forgot to mention, or I mean, we were going to get there, but Scream, Blackula, Scream co-stars Pam Greer. So the movie could be completely inept and it would still be superior.
0: So let's get through the ending of Blackula so we can get into Scream, Blackula, Scream. So we get to the end of the movie and Mama Walde tries to escape with Tina, but unfortunately something happens and she's about to die so he must turn her.
2: Yes, and so the one thing that I think is maybe to me the most interesting about Blackula is it is really one of the first films to clu- to include all of this romantic kind of plot development angle and you get the sense that like in a lot of other Vampire films, especially Dracula films, you have Dracula kind of professing an interest in female characters, but really he just wants to control them. and Just a dude wanting to drink blood. And and make some, you know, vampire brides who wear nightgowns and, like, who wouldn't? But... In this film, you really get the sense that he loves her and he thinks that she is his wife.
0: And He they, doesn't really want to drink blood. He just wants to be with her. He does those things because he has to to survive.
2: Exactly. And he so he starts to turn her but is kind of interrupted and realizes that, you know, she's going to die and she's not going to make it. And so he fucking walks out into the sunlight and sacrifices himself.
0: Because the cops fuck things up and kill her by mistake. The cops ruin everything. So he does walk into the sun in a very kind of like hopeless romantic, you know, I'm not going to do this a third time. This is it.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting because there are other later vampire movies where a vampire character who either is heroic or sort of becomes heroic they also kill themselves in the sunlight, but I Near think dark. Yeah. But I think Blackula is the first instance of a vampire character intentionally committing
0: solar suicide. It's definitely plausible. I'm not going to argue with you because you are the vampire expert here. Um, Thank what you. I find interesting about that though is again, it goes back to the idea of influence. Like this movie did so many things first or, appears to have done so many things first and it doesn't really get as much credit or attention as it should it's always kind of regarded as this campy classic where i think a lot of stuff that happens here and in the second film especially is legitimately good
2: yeah i i mean i
0: obviously agree with you so moving on to the second movie scream blackula scream
2: well i think we should also just say that the reason scream
0: blackula scream exists is because blackula did so well right I mean, it kicked off the whole trend of exploitation horror movies. We wouldn't have J.D.'s Revenge or any of the other movies. No William Graham directed um, uh, Mr. Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde.
2: Yeah, and I, I do kind of wish that there were more of these, but I think it's it's interesting because you, I mean, Ganya and Hess, which we've mentioned, Sugar Hill, which is amazing. so amazing. Um, but... I think it's it's interesting because you you see this idea of black exploitation horror like even though there aren't really black exploitation movies being made in the same way outside of like some comedies in the last couple decades you you do and you know the Shaft remake that came out last year which I totally saw in the theater uh <laughs> You do see, and we're going to have to do an episode on this at some point. I don't know if it counts as goth or not, but I don't really care. The 90s and 2000s, like black
0: horror films. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are incredible. Some of them directly reference it. um, Tales from the Hood. Hood. Yeah, Tales from the Hood is definitely something that references that era of filmmaking, because it definitely feels like it could have come out then. Um, But there has definitely, I would agree, in the last... Five to ten years been a move towards respectability. Um, they have to be very serious movies. Um, I'm thinking of the Jordan Peele movies, which are great, and they're treated the way they deserve to be. They deserve all kinds of attention. But there's this, especially in, like when I see horror writers discussing them, there's this need to make them serious movies. And part of that is talking down on films like Blackula and treating them like maybe they're not of a similar piece. Like they had no way of influencing or preceding that.
2: I hate it. I hate it so much. And I think when you look down at a genre and then make a film in that genre, it just like overall is not something that is going to appeal to me because one of the things that I think is so great about any genre, whether it's Westerns or sci-fi or fantasy, there are certain conventions and certain tropes that I think as a director you can play with, especially in the last like 10 or 20 years. I mean, everything has been done to death. There's lots of room for experimentation. And so I think it's much more interesting to use those tropes in creative ways rather than try to look
0: down on them and do something that's a serious film well so and it's not something i feel like jordan peele does because i think he does that in interesting ways in movies like Get yeah. Out where it's playing on the stepford wives and other things other movies that have come before it and he's always very respectful it's more what i see oh agreed yeah in the community when they discuss films like his movies where they have to be very serious art they can't be anything else so part of that is acting like movies didn't exist before that era and not talking about or minimizing the influence that they had on the current era. And I think Blackula definitely is a movie that deserves more credit for influencing vampire movies that came after, especially, you know, what we would call modern vampire movies.
2: Sure. And I bet there are plenty of, you know, horror bros who happen to like Bram Stoker's Dracula.
0: Who... <laughs> Which is, it's basically the same movie. <laughs> it's basically the same movie. Don't get me wrong. It's very pretty. I love the way it looks. All of the in-camera tricks, everything that they do. The Coppola's
2: brilliant. But so many of those like, vampire plot points are taken right from Blackula.
0: Absolutely. So it's a movie that deserves more credit than it probably gets.
1: Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe.
0: Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe.
2: Available anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Black Uli is back. All new, all powerful. <laughs> Blackula, the black prince of shadows, rises from his grave to stalk the earth again in the all-new motion picture chiller Scream, Blackula, Scream. <laughs> Blackula returns, quenching his thirst for blood in a death trap for his enemies. Blackula, more horrifying than Dracula, screaming for revenge against a voodoo cult of evil. <laughs> Scream, Blackula, Scream! All new, rated PG, starring William Marshall, Don Mitchell, and Pam Grier, the sensuous godmother of coffee. You were terrified at Blackula. Now the Prince of Shadows returns in Scream, Blackula,
0: Scream. Speaking of William Marshall, forever, our hero Mama Walde does not die. Which is, and I love the way that Scream, Blackula,
2: Scream, and. You know, I could just say the second movie, but I love this fucking title so much that I feel like I need to say it as many times as I can in this episode.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. And I want to give a shout out to our friends at Rough Cut, who produced a wonderful Scream Blackia Scream shirt a while back,
2: which I am wearing right now, even though you cannot see me.
0: That's why I referenced it. So this movie is um, not directed by a black filmmaker. It's directed by, I guess, a normal studio filmmaker, Bob Kellyan, Yes, I
2: feel like you maybe want to not say normal studio filmmaker, like, okay,
0: okay, normal. So this movie isn't directed by a black filmmaker. It's directed by um, an exploitation horror director, um, Bob Kellyan, who did Count Yorga and the interesting one here, Act of Vengeance. Yes, (laughs) which um, the alternate title for those of you who are not aware is Rape Squad. And it actually so that movie is influential in the sense that it sets up a Jason Voorhees figure a decade before we even really get Jason in a mask. It's the first hockey mask, you know, perpetrator. I don't know how to phrase what he is in that movie. But. Perpetrator is the right word. I also with some of those rape
2: revenge movies, their alternate titles are so fucking good. Like rape squad is a great title, much like day of the woman is a way better title than, I mean, I spit on your grave is
0: pretty cool, but I mean, day that of the one woman has is two better good titles. Yeah. Act of Vengeance is kind of, you know, bland. It's We're, generic. Yeah. But um, so Kellyan had already done the Yorga movies before he did Scream, Blackula, Scream. So he'd already done um, vampire movies. So he kind of knew what he was working with. So you see a level of craftsmanship in this movie that isn't there in the first one because Blackula was Crane's first movie, like first feature.
2: Yeah. And I do think some of it is when you have these directors who were working within something like the AIP system, they made films a certain way. And so when you watch a lot of these AIP horror films from a particular decade, I mean, even if you watch some of those Roger Corman films, they have a very similar look for a good reason, because they have this sort of loose overlapping team of production designers and editors and you can see a lot of the similarities between them and so to me scream blackula scream looks way more like an AIP horror movie than blackula does it's like it starts to kind of
0: fit more into that mold but it's so fucking awesome oh no it's amazing um the beginning is fantastic um it begins with warring factions fighting over warring will, voodoo factions, warring voodoo factions fighting over who will become the new leader because Mama Loa has passed away.
2: And I know that all of these films have a lot of stereotypes and I'm glad that we're not stuck with that so much anymore, but I love these voodoo horror movies from oh, the seventies. They're agree. incredible.
0: So, um, it doesn't specify like what kind of religion it just says voodoo as an all encompassing thing. I'm sure they probably pull in elements of like Santeria and maybe Pao Mayombi. I'm not sure if I
2: don't think they're sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if they're sure what they're doing. So they definitely reference the Loa um in this movie because Mama Loa passes away and she chooses Pam Greer as, as her successor, which pisses off her son because Pam Greer was only an adopted apprentice.
2: Yeah, but Cram- Pam Greer is clearly more badass than probably anyone on the planet including oh, William
0: Marshall, so- sorry. She had done coffee by this point, right? Yes.
2: And I think she had done Foxy Brown with William Girdler by this point
0: as well. So she was definitely already an established name. So putting her in this would have made sense and it wouldn't have been too out of the ordinary to take a chance on her.
2: And it's interesting because she's not... She's not as aggressive in this movie. Exactly. She's not just sort of like forced into this role where she has to kick the shit out of everyone. She... Basically, I also, the other thing that I really love about Scream, Black Hula, Scream is so often films in series just try to reproduce what happened in the first film. And so it would be all too easy for Black Hula to fall in love again. And that doesn't happen here. Instead, right. it's this totally wild plot where he wants Lisa, Pam Greer's character, to use her impressive voodoo powers, which he recognizes because he knows everything and he's William Marshall. Uh, He wants her to use her powers to do an exorcism and drive the demon out of him so that he can go back home to
0: Africa. And like, that is some radical shit. Well, so I don't think it would have been too weird for uh, Mama Walde to recognize this because he states he comes from Africa and many of these religions were part of the African diaspora. So it's something he may have encountered well, at some you, point in the past.
2: But you also, I guess what I mean is he's he has this like innate understanding of her powers without having to be told. And that's right. definitely something you see in a lot of like pulp vampire fiction where, yeah. I mean, you see it all throughout even sort of later shit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where <laughs> where you laugh but where powerful vampires are able to kind of pick up on other people's powers like they know somebody's a witch or they know that somebody is this or that and I think this is another early example of you seeing that happening with a, a vampire sort of lead
0: character definitely but the way we get to that point is Pam Grier's rival Willis the son of Mamaloa buys the bones of Mama Walde and resurrects him in a voodoo ritual.
2: Which is sort of similar to what happens in Dracula AD 1972, but it doesn't feel
0: like a copy of that. Like it's such a great sequence. And one of the interesting things about this is, again, it tangentially touches on the issue of slavery because he is bought and sold as he is resurrected. Like literally someone sells him to someone else.
2: Yeah. And it, what I, I think what I love so much about this double feature is that really William Marshall's character is only like the only constant. Oh, it's, definitely. it's not at all a copy of the first Blackula and it's much more, sort of Sugar Hill style this like voodoo movie than it is a straightforward vampire movie. That would be a great double feature. That would be a great double feature and it's really hard actually now that I think about it. It's hard for me to think of any other vampire movies that are also voodoo films.
0: Yes. I, I want to say
2: so I want to say there's one called like The Ghost of Dracula or something from the 50s that I'm incorporates not that. A Dracula
0: Scholar beyond disco.
2: I'm going to put Dracula scholar on my business cards now.
0: I mean, I think it's an actual thing. Dracula studies is a thing.
2: Oh, I know it is. Yeah. And
0: One I, of my favorite writers, I think his name is Massimo Intravina. intravigna I'm not sure how you say it. Um, he wrote Intravina. Intravina. He wrote Satanism, a social history. He's also like a Dracula studies scholar.
2: I mean, you have somebody like uh, David Skull, who is the same way. I mean, yeah. he's written lots of books about Todd Browning and there's actually not not to make a weird nerd plug here, but if you're more interested, there's a really great edition of Dracula put out by Norton Critical. I'm obsessed with Norton Critical; they should probably hire me, but hire them or hire her. <laughs> uh, it has all these really great essays. I want to say it came out probably around the year 2000, maybe 2005. So it's kind of dated at this point, but. It has a lot of great uh, introductory kind of academic articles to Dracula studies and vampire studies. And if you're anybody who even writes about horror films, there's a lot of great sort of food for thought in there about the way that these stereotypes and these kind of tropes have started out in 19th century literature and sort of found their way into contemporary horror films.
0: And it would be great if horror writers read more about actual horror history.
2: Oh my God. That would is a day that I will not live to see, but yes. (laughs) So
0: um, as we were saying before, this movie is a lot like other Dracula films from this era where Dracula is a fish out of water plunked down into the 1970s. This specifically here, because it's even more 1970s, he meets um, Pam Greer's character, Lisa at a party where it's like disco music, um, Pan-African studies and like all kinds of different things that were very hot in that era are literally all at this one party.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting the way that there are. Uh, so have you seen the Black Panther movie? Yes. OK, so there are scenes in the beginning of Scream, Blackula Scream that kind of remind me of the beginning of Black Panther in the way that he it's like. An
0: interesting interpretation.
2: It just, I thought about it today in the way that he like walks into an exhibit basically of sort of African tribal and sort of occult memorabilia and has this dialogue where he sort of corrects them and he says, no, that's what this is.
0: Yes. Do do you sort of know what I mean? Yeah. So definitely the... um academic in this movie is just like no sir you're wrong and mama wald is like no i was there son <laughs> yeah he doesn't quite phrase it that way but like he he's like no this is what it is shut up
2: yeah and mm-hmm. he he has this great way of schooling people throughout <laughs> both of these movies and he also does the same thing in abby that just is just condescension well you i think you're just really struck with a sense of. William Marshall the man's like sheer intelligence his range of knowledge and he definitely brings that to these characters where here's somebody who's not just playing a vampire who happens to be black he's playing a vampire whose blackness is a crucial part of his identity as is his African heritage
0: yes and that scene definitely illustrates that um and it helps introduce him to Lisa who Isn't a love interest, but is like a weird spiritual Yeah, I think they kiss at one point, but it's... There's no real chemistry between them, at least in my opinion. No, and I think that's
2: intentional because it's more like he's interested in her professional spiritual services.
0: Which is an interesting way of presenting a... um, black woman in that era like as an equal rather than just as a pure love interest
2: oh totally and I I think in a lot of ways scream blackula scream is just as radical as blackula is because also the way that and I think Pam Greer is really a force in a lot of this but the way that black women are depicted on screen and just women in general it's you know, so many people have talked about this, so I'm far from the first person to say it, but it's difficult to find a film where a woman is more than just a love interest. And right. here there are definitely people who want to who wanna get up on that because it's Pam Greer. Right. But that's not really her function in the film at all.
0: No, she's basically an equal to Mama Walde and he needs her because of something she can do. Her power. Than, you know, some physical attribute she may have or something about her he may desire.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's also, I think it's important that that's how the film starts out is we're introduced to her as this being of power who is maybe not fully mature or is maybe not, and I don't mean like emotionally mature. I mean, maybe hasn't fully stepped into her power yet. Right, she hasn't fully grown into who she's going to be. Yeah, she's not totally confident, but... The like immediate sort of dichotomy that starts off the movie is there's a man who's pissed off at her because she's more powerful than he is, right? And I just, I, I, lo- I'm so grateful for the fact that the second movie isn't just another vampire romance.
0: Well, and they emasculate Willis frequently throughout the movie, and it's not just Pam who does. Mama Walde has a great scene where, um, Willis's girlfriend, after he turns her, is like, Why do you let him tell you it's what you're going to do and she tells mama walda you stay on your half of the house and she kind of like eggs willis on and willis is like yeah yeah and william marshall just gives him that look and he backs down
2: yeah that, so like it's part a of great the movie look.
0: like a good chunk of the movie is devoted to just emasculating willis over and over again
2: yeah there are i would say probably more interesting kind of complicated relationships between black people in Scream Blackula
0: Scream than there are in the first film yes you feel you get more fully realized like human characters even if they aren't human themselves they Yes. display those attributes more frequently
2: yeah and i think the second film is also much more interested in looking at a community of black people rather than hear some characters
0: right and it has that scene you mentioned where it wants to have the discussion about
2: how has slavery continued into a modern urban society yes. so kind of
0: context he confronts two pimps so at one point Mama all day leaves the party and he starts talking to a woman who is a sex worker. He doesn't know that's what she is. And she keeps trying to like tell him, well, she's trying to pick him up. Yeah. She's trying to pick him up, but she doesn't know if he's a cop or not. So she, you know, I mean, the cops up. don't walk down the street in capes and they let's, don't, let's be real. I was going to say, they don't look or talk like William Marshall.
2: <laughs> also, also fair,
0: but she walks off and, um, her pimps, because I guess there's two in this scenario for some reason. Um, they run up on him and they're like, give us your bread, man. And he's like, I don't have any bread.
2: Yeah, there, and the way he says it, like you think that he is in on the joke, but the way he says it is sort of like, I literally do not have a loaf of bread to give you. Right, it's a great (laughs)
0: line delivery. But it also, so like the scene is funny, but it also wants to have that conversation about how slavery has persisted, both outside and inside of um, that community. So it's an interesting scene. It does kind of come across as a little campy, But the way the movie handles it is also interesting because it's literally just him walking through this scene and these two dudes running up on him. It just comes out of nowhere.
2: But it also does feel very organic if you think about it in the context of other films from the period and into the late or into the early 80s, where you have all these sort of New York and LA films where people are walking, characters, often main characters, are walking down the street and they're. Their lives or their sort of story arc is, however, briefly interrupted by violence or being hassled. Right.
0: Also, to live in New York was to be, you know, constantly raging at someone passing you in the street in a 70s movie.
2: Sure. I mean, I think we still experience a lot of that living in the
0: city now. Oh, sure. It's it's different in like New York movies specifically. Like, yeah. There's a special kind of agitated. I don't know like where this movie is supposed to be set. Is it supposed to be L.A.? LA. Okay. Yeah. I know they filmed scenes in Watts. I'm not sure specifically if it was supposed to be L.A. or more yeah. broadly like anywhere in America. But, I
2: mean, it's not supposed to be Kansas, I can tell you that much. Well,
0: right. I wasn't sure if it was like general city vibe. A lot of movies would do that in that era.
2: Yeah, I think it's specifically supposed to be LA, is my understanding. Okay. Uh but you know what? You so you said something about how like William Girdler Marshall. William Marshall is walking down the street and the the sex worker starts talking to him and doesn't sort of lean in too hard because she doesn't know who he is and I just made that comment about how like no one would ever think he was a cop he was supposed to be in some cop show that um it's called Harlem Detective and it was supposed to be a show about all black cops
0: how would he have pulled that off
2: I mean I think probably William William Marshall can do anything but (laughs) My my understanding, the like Internet rumor is that the show was canceled because someone like named him a communist or he came out and said that he was a
0: communist. OK, <laughs> fuck yeah, William Marshall. <laughs> He's the greatest person ever. <laughs> but speaking of cops, so you had mentioned in the first film, Gordon wasn't a cop. Whereas exactly. The foil in this film, Justin, is a cop.
2: Which I think.
0: I'm glad that they didn't just duplicate that and have another, you know, scientist. Right. They need another respectable figure that wasn't, you know, a scientist. So I guess cop is the next best thing. It's also a 70s movie. So like literally- It makes like, sense. Any character who isn't the main character is probably a cop.
2: Yeah. And I think it makes sense to sort of have like, it, well, it at least allows for a lot of the scenes towards the end of the film where he just like kicks the shit out of cops.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot more of that in this movie. I think in the first one, he only beats up like maybe one or two cops, whereas this movie is like Mama Walde fighting Versus the the LAPD. (laughs) And hey, man, Mama Walde, more power to you? Like, kick their asses.
2: Yeah, come back to us, Mama Walde.
0: Does it? Um, But unfortunately, I guess our hero surrogate, you know, is a cop named Justin. And the relationship between them is interesting because they try and play it off as equals. And they have the dinner scene in specific where it just doesn't work because um william marshall just overpowers him both like the performance and just the character
2: yeah it's way more in than the first movie yeah
0: and it's it's funny when you watch the scene because they're going like they're trying to go tit for tat in the way you know two people go back and forth justin's not saying he outright knows mama walde is a vampire but he knows mama walde is a vampire well and mama <laughs> walde is like don't mess with things you don't understand little boy
2: Pretty much. There's also that hilarious scene. It reminds me of the scene in the first movie where Gordon basically comes out and says in front of Mama Walde, he says, you know, allegedly vampires have to sleep in coffins and that's where they're the most vulnerable. And Mama Walde is like, oh, interesting. And then immediately goes and moves his coffin and is like, you dumb son of a bitch, you gave me the
0: idea to move my coffin. (laughs) So yeah, Mama Walde is probably the smartest vampire of like any vampire in most movies because he actually reacts to the characters. Well, you get
2: the sense that he kind of has to be to survive. Right. Whereas
0: typically it's just they're there for the purposes of the plot. It's also
2: interesting because if you think about vampires who are supposed to be Dracula they're usually these aristocratic figures who have no relationship to normal people or the world really at all. They're very detached. Yes. And even though Mama Walde is a prince, it's like he goes on a mission to stop slavery. So he obviously is much more connected to the normal world. So I think there are less of those like humorous fish out of water moments than in some other vampire films from the
0: 70s. But eventually Mama Walde and Willis begin turning people so Mama Walde can rebuild his vampire army. Like you do. Unfortunately, he turns Pam Greer's friend and she becomes suspicious after her friend Gloria returns from the dead and attacks her. And this is where the relationship starts breaking down.
2: I mean, if you want somebody to give you a voodoo exorcism and turn you back into a human you can't turn their best friend into a vampire which is just rude
0: right but it's weird because so early in the film lisa has um, a scene with um, a white cop where he's basically using phrases like you people and he's he's not necessarily referring to um african-americans he's supposed to be referring to you know people who practice voodoo but it's kind of like both in a sense. yeah there's some lines that are like mm. right so there's this element of racism that's there but the thing that ultimately like turns lisa against him is when he starts fucking up the cops she just suddenly is like i can't deal with this anymore you are too much for me yeah i do think which is confusing to me on some level because you'd almost think based on the prior interaction she would be okay with it
2: yeah and that's i guess To me, that's one of the contrasts between Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream is that I think there are sort of higher highs in the second movie. Right. But the first one is more consistent in terms of character and the way people react to Mama Walde and in this film it does fall apart a little bit at the end because So i think
0: the first one definitely has a better ending it definitely yeah narratively it's more cohesive and you know have you have that romantic moment where he walks into the sun you don't kind of get that with this
2: no but instead you get pam greer killing mamu walde by like stabbing a voodoo doll of him over and over again and so it's pretty awesome
0: it's also not a typical way of killing a vampire. Typically, you actually have to physically touch the vampire to kill him, whereas he or she uses her voodoo powers. Yeah, I don't think that happens in any other film. Right. Um, but it also plays into the idea that she is equal to him because she's ultimately the one who kills him, not Justin, the cop. Which is also a rarity that
2: a woman, woman kills the vampire, which is another way that Bram Stoker's Dracula rips off of Blackula. Because at the end of that film, Winona Ryder kills Gary Oldman.
0: Oh, Gary Oldman. When in
2: reality, any self-respecting person would be like, fuck these idiots. I'm going to go spend eternity with vampire Gary Oldman. Peace out, everyone.
0: You have Keanu Reeves attempting to do a British accent. It's the worst. Attempting. Or you have Gary Oldman dressed like he's out of a fucking ministry video.
2: Doing a legit Romanian accent. I I can't remember where I listened to this. It was not too long after the film came out on TV. And it was this like NBC News segment where you had, (laughs) they they like interviewed these people who were like, yes, he, you know, he listened to Romanian news and studied for months. And they like interviewed these like local Romanian people who were like, his accent is spot on. And then there's Keanu. And then there's Keanu. It's really, tra- and I, I love Keanu in many things, but...
0: Keanu is no Blackula.
2: No, and definitely part of the problem I have with a lot of Dracula adaptations is that Jonathan Harker is just intolerable.
0: He is he's, a boring character. He is insufferable. He never does anything. He just he's a passive character who allows things to happen to him.
2: He is like if you look in the dictionary under the word milk toast, there should just be a picture of Jonathan Harker and no other words.
0: Absolutely agree. Thankfully, none of the characters in this movie are passive like that. Thank Specifically God. Mama Walde, who is yeah. the baddest motherfucker in both movies, just fucks up cops Yep. Stands Baddest, up everybody.
2: Baddest, smartest, handsomest. He just does everything. Deepest voiced.
0: How do you beat that?
2: You don't. Do you like spooky movies? Hair raising
0: tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love car business. The horror podcast and the CinePunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Seminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain.
1: So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. So
2: if this is your first time listening, something that we usually do at the end of every episode is we talk about goth music that's in some way related to the movie or movies we're discussing. And
0: often it's be difficult here.
2: Yeah, so often what we do is if it's a movie that has come out after like 1980 Usually, we just pick our favorite album from that particular year, and, and there's talk lots about of goth it.
0: music after the year of 1980. There Unfortunately, sure is. yeah. So, we've run into this problem where we, we keep doing like 72, 73, 74 for some reason. We all of the do. movies we keep picking are in that like small period of time,
2: which is definitely before official goth music came out. And we've talked about things like Brian Eno and David Bowie and Mort Garson and all kinds of other shit, but this episode i feel like this is maybe a little predictable but we're doing it anyway because it's our podcast and you just have to deal with it but instead we're going to talk about black musicians that count as goth like each of us are just have picked a
0: favorite right and i think what i have is definitely something that isn't necessarily goth but i'm gonna use the phrase i hate goth adjacent ding 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 i don't have to use it now so there you go yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely, we wanted to highlight musicians that you would not normally hear in an episode like this. There are black goth musicians. It's just that typically they don't get cited and artists that would have been predecessors also don't get mentioned.
2: Which is really frustrating. I mean, to me, one of the first ever goth musicians is fucking Screaming Jay Hawkins, who... absolutely. Is amazing. And if you need some inspiration, just go watch one of his videos or listen to, listen one of to his him. records, yes. you know,
0: just do anything about him. It's awesome. Everything he did is awesome. He's amazing. Um, so who did you pick?
2: I picked. And again, he's probably kind of goth adjacent. But to me, there is a lot of crossover. And I know we've talked about this on past episodes. To me, there's a ton of crossover between what people think of as goth music and the sort of broader term post-punk. Okay. And I'm a huge post-punk fan. So this particular musician fits a little bit more into that category, but I want to talk about Barry Adamson.
0: So I'm not familiar with Barry Adamson.
2: Oh, Barry Adamson is the fucking best. So Please go on. Barry Adamson uh, does what I would, if I had to just like describe him in a few words I, I would call him Creepy Jazz he's <laughs> okay, he, I'm sold he started off with Visage uh, oh,
0: amazing okay, I am sold already
2: Sold, and even more, he was a really influential figure in the sort of later birthday party and he worked with Nick Cave for years so I do know of him, I just don't know him by name Exactly, which I think is a real shame. I mean, I first knew of him by name, even though I'm like, I've been a huge birthday party fan. Like, I I do love solo Nick Cave, or I guess calling him solo Nick Cave is terrible because Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is brilliant mostly because of the collaboration with uh, Mick Harvey and Blixa Bargeld and all of the other wonderful musicians like Barry Adamson. But. The Birthday Party was a band that I loved before I really got into the bad scenes, just because somebody gave me the Birthday Party Live album. And I was, when I was like 14 or 15, I dated this way older dude. It was unfortunate. But oh, we, are
0: we going to do age gap discourse? Well,
2: <laughs> I mean, Please, no, we're not going to. <laughs> but the good thing that came out of that is the Birthday Party. And I, you know, listened to them for such a long time before realizing who Barry Adamson was. Same thing with the bad seeds. Like, I knew a lot of the other members, like, right away, just because they were sort of prominently listed on the CD, which was what I had at the time. But I really first started to pay attention to who Barry Adamson was when I got into David Lynch's Lost Highway, Oh, because he's all over the soundtrack. So I do know him. I just don't know his name. How weird. Totally. And I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people. He did some solo albums that I haven't listened to in a while, but loved. Uh, He did this one called Moss Side Story that is meant to be the soundtrack to like a fake film noir And I think if you like somebody like Angelo Badalamenti or you like some of the sort of more instrumental stuff from the Bad Seeds, you're going to love Barry Adamson. I mean, he just is amazing. So you should immediately go out and listen to all of his work on repeat.
0: So what would you recommend for a song, for an album? Probably the, the Lost Highway soundtrack. so the artist i picked i took i wanted to look at someone actually in the era um i thought we were doing in the era i don't know why um but this is a good excuse for me to introduce an artist i try and talk up as much as i can because he's literally probably one of my top five favorite musicians of all time um exuma who um his real name was tony mckay and he was a musician in the Greenwich Village scene of New York in the 60s and 70s. He was a contemporary of Bob Dylan and all of the people who came up in that scene. But he was unique because the music he was playing was very different from what was happening in New York. He came from the Bahamas, um, Cat Island, and he initially started out making funk and soul music, but eventually started developing a personality around his, you know, his past, where he had grown up. Um, he developed this character, the Obeah Man. Um, based off of Obea, the religion, which um, is very similar to like Peyo Miombi, yeah, Santeria, Voodoo. And he started incorporating rock, folk music, and um, a form of Bahamas carnival music known as Junkanoo. So the music is very different stylistically from what most people think of. And when you think of goth music, it's not something that you would immediately connect to, but the obey character came out of a specific era, which I think is important. To talking about goth music because in the late 60s and early 70s, you started seeing this offshoot of psychedelic music that started going in spooky directions. Specifically, what caused the creation of The Obama Man was Dr. John the Night Tripper, who released the album Grigory in 1968, which was a mixture, mixture of psychedelia, blues, and voodoo. Dr. John was a white dude who was doing like a mixture of spiritual journey and blues musician, but he was someone who played with actual blues musicians. So it's not really something I would define as like cultural appropriation. Yeah, I was
2: going to say someone's going to be upset.
0: No, and if they say that, they're dumb. Um, anyone who reads Beyond the Service on Dr. John knows he was very much immersed in that culture. But one of the side benefits of his success is that it actually gave an opportunity to black musicians. So in this case, Exuma got an opportunity to developed this personality which he'd already been working on um, i believe it was the manager of the blue magoos who sought him out after the success of dr john so in the early 70s he released a series of albums um exuma exuma 2 duanani snake reincarnation and life literally like six albums over three years and they are amazing it's a mixture of like weird folk music with um caribbean rhythms uh, rock music his best known song is probably a uh, cover of the stones Paint It black but he also was someone who didn't really get a lot of attention he became best known because other people played his music um, nina simone for example um, covered 22nd century but the first two records in specific are very interesting and i think are appropriate for um, blackula because they deal in a mixture of obeah haitian voodoo and other forms of um, African and um, Afro-Caribbean spiritual practices. So on the first record, for example, there are songs like uh, Dambala, which is one of the most powerful Loa, and Mama Loe, Papa Loe. But the song I picked is one called A Place on Earth, A Place Called Earth, off of the second record, um, because it has the weirdest and probably the spookiest vibe.
1: The front wing of time. Backwards is life. Sideways is the spirit of life. Front was three times is death. Line of evil. Line of sin. Your own evil will do you in. i no.
0: So I try and talk up Exuma as much as possible because he's a dude who just seemingly got no attention in that era. Um, Rock journalists did write about him, but it was always usually in reference to Dr. John or other things that were happening. He eventually did do other things. He moved to New Orleans. He produced musicals and plays. He's an amazing figure that I really wish more people would listen to and know about. Um, But relevant to goth, gothness, part of what I find interesting about him is this element of artifice. Music today very much is about there's a message about stripping layers back to find your true self, whereas with acts like Dr. John, Exuma and most of goth music, there is this level of artifice. It's about constructing personalities and everything about him was constructing a personality and performing. There's theatricality in everything he did.
2: It's interesting because I think you see a lot of that in the 70s. I mean, that's sort of central to David Bowie's career. Yes. It's central to Roxy music, to Peter Gabriel. Right. And so many people. From it's that one of the time. reasons
0: I hate when people talk about, you know, like generation discourse, like differences between generations. You see a lot of people today saying like, you know, just reflexively saying all boomer art, boomer stuff, boomer culture sucks. Whereas a lot of the stuff that was made in that era is fucking amazing. And part of it's because it's about creating identities and building your personality into something that you can be. It's about world building.
2: Well, and I think in the context of what we're talking about, a lot of those artists were trying to fight against social oppression in different ways, whether you're talking about racism or sexism. I mean, there are a lot of major goth bands who... And even post-punk who are started by women who were abused and were basically as teenagers escaping these kind of awful blue collar family situations like Susie Sue and uh, Elizabeth from Cocteau Twins and Cozy from Chris and Cozy and Throbbing Gristle. And I think you also have a lot of gay artists who are Able to establish these identities and these personas
0: freely for the first time, right? Roz Williams, um, totally Christian Death, and a number of other artists who used goth music to build entirely new identities for themselves, which is one of the reasons why I think something like Xuma, someone who isn't necessarily mentioned in the context of this music, but is someone I can see kind of both based on the level of like you know the spooky subject matter but also like the identity building aspect of it, where you're creating this personality for yourself.
2: Well, and to your point about people always wanting to kind of draw lines and put things in sort of different, carefully organized categories and have everything be so separated out, like Yes. It's a goth podcast, but like, what does that even really mean? It's, it's pretty arbitrary. It's just sort of like stuff that you and I like. And one, one of my biggest pet peeves, I mean, we, we try to like stick to some general guidelines, but one of my biggest pet peeves, and this is something that I experienced a lot growing up, mostly from people of older generations is if they would hear Rap or R&B on the radio It's like well I don't like that black music Right It's like you could say you don't like black music But that just means that you don't like Any American music at all Because like where do you think all of it came from
0: Right I mean so there's ways of expressing So Those are ways of expressing ideas Without actually having to say them You can say you hate rap music And not have to say you're racist You can say you hate country music And not have to say you're classist There are ways of doing these things That were much more common, you know, a generation or two ago. And it's unfortunate because I think a lot of that stuff ultimately ended up, you know, influencing and creating and intermingling in a way that's very interesting. So, for example, if you look at something like New Wave, it doesn't exist if you don't have the intermingling of black reggae music and white punks.
2: Totally. And that is also why I immediately thought of Barry Adamson because I think you don't have a lot of goth music or a lot of post-punk without these really strong kind of early blues influence. Like, right. so much of that is reliant on blues guitar, whether yes. there's a black person writing the music or not. I mean, certainly in the case of bands like The Birthday Party and The Bad Seeds and The Gun Club, you have people like Barry Adamson involved involved. But, like, that's the foundation of all
0: that music. Right. And uh, you had joked earlier when I mentioned Dr. John about cultural appropriation, or I mentioned and you were like, "Uh uh-oh. I think one of the interesting things about a lot of this music from this era moving forward is you see these – it's not appropriation. It's more cultural fusion as these genres keep Totally, and cultural influence. Keep weaving in and out and bringing in new influences. So, like, goth music today – is many different things. You have artists of color like M Lamar, who is fantastic. And there's a long history of things like this. And I wish it wasn't something that we just had to focus on so intensely now, because I wish we could highlight all of the things that happened previously and raise up people like that. It's just so increasingly hard to do that because you're fighting histories where people just want to be like, I only like this or that.
2: Yep. And I think that's Partly why we sort of started this podcast is to talk about things that we love that...
0: Has anything not been a goth movie? I don't think so. Is Repo a genetic opera? A We're goth not movie? talking about Repo the fucking genetic opera. Just wait till we get to that episode.
2: I will be dead before then.
0: So we have one thing left to do. The rules. Oh, so... So you forgot about the rules... <laughs> I didn't forget
2: about the rules. I introduced the rules in the beginning of the episode,
0: but you forgot about them by the end.
2: Well, and I no. remembered them, so you know. Okay, but I I felt like it was it went without saying that this that, is a goth movie. Yeah, we Blackula, don't need to go through the individual. Blackula and scream Blackula scream both involve embracing the darkness, killing your fear, and living for death.
0: So Blackula and scream Blackula scream are goth movies.
2: Goth as fuck.